once again. How are you guys doing tonight? Let me ask you a better question. How many of y'all came with the spirit of expectancy tonight? Now, some of you are like, I don't know what that means. Let me clarify what I mean by that. There was a time in which Jesus went to this one town, and he came there to wreck the place in the best of ways. He came there to perform miracles. He came there to like do real stuff for people who were hurting and in need, right? And so he comes to this town, and guess what happens? Say what, Dave? He, he shows up, and he can't do hardly any miracles whatsoever. Jesus couldn't do miracles. Like the ones that he had set out to do, you want to know why? Say why, Dave? Because the townspeople had such limited, weak faith. And because of that, his capacity to do the, the impossible, his capacity to be able to heal the blind, open the ears of the deaf, to be able to raise the dead, to be able to heal the lepers, all of these things couldn't happen. Why? Because the folks there knew who Jesus was, and they're like, oh my gosh, it's just Jesus. It's just him. And I think sometimes we want Jesus to do the miraculous, but yet Monday through Saturday as we live our lives, we go, oh, it's just Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Help me to have a good day. Keep me out of trouble. Help me not to get bullied today. It's just Jesus. And Jesus is like, if you just only knew what I want to do through you and for you, you have no idea with the things I have in store for those who love me and seek me and have a spirit of expectancy. So here's the deal. We can actually come into this tent, including your bald-headed youth pastor, and go, oh, it's just Jesus. Yeah, we'll sing some songs to him, and, and yeah, we'll pay attention during the sermon, and we'll talk about Jesus, and it's just Jesus, though. He really does. He's just nice. He's a, he's a cool guy that we like to have show up to just kind of make, round out the vibe a little bit. But then we walk right out and we get into the car and then your parents are going to say, well, honey, what did you learn tonight? And you're going to go, I just learned about just Jesus. Oh, that's good. Just Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can transform our world. Only Jesus can reach the parts of your heart that no boy or girl can. Only Jesus can bring miracles into your life. Only Jesus can make this night special. Only Jesus. Everybody say only Jesus. Following only Jesus and expecting only Jesus to do what only Jesus can do. So would you just open up your hands with me? What if he does something completely unexpected tonight? What if, as he walked into the room, we would not be that town, but we would be the other town that goes, do your biggest and your best. We are so expectant for you, Jesus, to do something that blows our mind, not because he's a circus trick pony or whatever, if that's even a thing, but here's the thing. He's not here to perform tricks. He's here to move. Because he didn't want you to come in this room for you to waste your time. He doesn't want to waste your time. He came here because he has a very specific purpose for every single person in this room. Only Jesus. And so my job and our job as the worship team is to say only Jesus can make this amazing. Because otherwise you're just listening to a middle-aged, white, hyper-bald guy. You could do so many other things with your life on a Wednesday night than listen to that. But the Lord has chosen me to be his spokesperson tonight. And what I'm asking is only Jesus have your way. So would you open up your mind and your imagination with a spirit of expectancy and say, God, okay. I don't even feel like it. I don't even have the faith. But I don't want to miss out if you actually have something for me. So open up your hands and say, Jesus, take this time. I am expecting you to give me what it is you already have set aside for me. Jesus, have your way tonight. Open my mind. Open my heart. Blow me away. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, it is so good to be back. It was like last week. How many of y'all were here last week? Let me hear a woo, shows, claps, something. Okay. Last week was last week. 
And I found myself kind of hoping that last week would be like this week, but behold, look, I'm doing a new thing. You see, last week was a foretaste of what God, I truly believe, is wanting to do throughout the course of our lives in this ministry. That was just a, that was a small picture of what he wants to do. And so we need to come back just as hungry, just as expected. And so if you weren't with us last week, we started out this series called Imagine. Everybody say Imagine. And, and basically DSM, what I was saying is that DSM has been and will be about inspiring high schoolers not to just be satisfied with the norm. Not to just be satisfied. We, DSM here, if you're here for the first time, there's a lot of great youth ministries in this town. I encourage you to find one if this one isn't your flavor. But I want to let you know what we're about. You see, DSM is about calling students to a higher understanding and call and walk with God. Because here's the thing. I think that too often people dismiss you guys and go, we have to entertain you, we have to keep it light, we have to keep it funny, we have to keep it weird, we have to use all these gimmicks and tricks and smoke and lights, and we have to do all these things to attract you dumb teenager kids. You see, sadly, there's a lot of ministries that think like that. But we know and we have learned that guys, you are the ones who are the most open and the most ready to go high and into the deeper things of God. So we don't think that you're a bunch of dumb teenagers that need to just hear a bunch of booger jokes and then a verse about Jesus at the end. Our feeling is, is that you guys, this generation, you in this room, are the ones who are actually able and have the freedom to be able to live out the things that we say a discipler, a follower of Jesus should actually look like. I think our culture has done a real disservice to you guys. Because as I get to know you and as I get to love you as your youth pastor, I am finding I'm surprised actually, but I'm finding that what our culture says about you is inaccurate because what our culture says is that you all are just a bunch of self-centered, narcissistic consumers, that it's just all about you and it's all about what you can get, but I'm not finding that. I don't think that's true of you. Is that a fair assessment of the people in this room? Or is there something below the surface? Is there, is there something within you that goes, no, 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 I'm not a consumer. As a matter of fact, David, I want to change the world because this world is jacked up. Anybody in here get a little bit fired up when you begin to think along those lines? You see, yeah, me and you, me and you. But I hate what, the, the, what this culture has done because it discounts this generation's desire to experience something real. Everybody say something real. We got enough of fake. How many of y'all are ready for something real in your life, in the life and within our culture, right? If you read the Bible, nowhere will you find that in order to follow Jesus, you have to be at least 25 with a credit score of 700 or more, married with a college degree before you can be responsible enough to handle Jesus, my, when I read the Bible, what I find is that Jesus found a bunch of uneducated, knuckleheaded teenagers and said, you guys are going to change the world. See, you may or may not know this, but the disciples were teenagers and college-age guys. Uneducated, rough, foul-mouthed. They used to rip people off for a living. They used to be tax collectors. They used to be these terrible, just blue-collar, low-life, uneducated people that people just walked by and Jesus like, those are the people I'm going to use to set the world on fire. So if you're sitting in here and you're like, man, maybe someday God can use me once I get my stuff figured out and I get put together. Are you kidding? Tonight is the night you begin to live out what God has called you to do. Tonight is the night. Everybody say tonight's the night. Everybody say it's time. I'm not going to wait around. I'm ready to get to work. Me too. All right, you don't have to say that was my part. All right. But maybe you got this fire in you, and maybe you, God has had you on this journey, and, and maybe you just kind of been to DSM the last couple of weeks or the last couple of months or whatever length of time, but there's this fire within you, but you don't know what to do with it. Fire that is had that you don't know what to do with it can be a very dangerous and destructive thing, right? Just because you got the fire doesn't mean that you know how to use it the right way. But when a fire is ignited in you by the Holy Spirit and the Lord opens your eyes and you begin to imagine things that are in the mind of God, that fire directed can, in fact, set the world on fire for the glory of Jesus. 
Or you could get this fire, but think it's because you were special in some way and that God loves you a little extra more and you become a legalistic Pharisee and you just begin to use that fire to destroy other people who are trying to find the fire because they don't have it like you do. Do you see the difference? If you thought last week was hardcore, this week is going to be much nicer. Um, with that said, <laughs> DSM is really about these four things. We really feel that if you have the fire of God, of the Holy Spirit within you, and you're like, I just want to go, what does it look like? If you and I were having coffee, I would say it's really focus on these four things. They're so simple, but it takes a lifetime to be able to live these things out in a way that makes sense, man. It's just this lifelong pursuit of passion. Everybody say passion. We believe here at DSM that students can live with passion. They don't live for God because they have to. They live for God because they love him. And they're passionate about the, his word. They're passionate about prayer. They're passionate about worship. They're passionate about those around them that aren't like them. They're passionate for the lost and the hurting and the marginalized. They're passionate about saying yes to godly things and saying no to things that are destructive. They're passionate because they love Jesus. Second thing is intercession. Everybody say intercession. Now, I touched on this last week, but I, didn't, I listened back to my sermon because I always listen back to what I say to see how close I got to being fired that week. And, and so I, I listened back, and I really didn't explain what I was trying to say last week. We had this debate as a team recently, and we talked about should we change the word from intercession to prayer? And should we actually go, hmm, oh, that'd be kind of cool if everything started with the letter P. Passion, prayer, instead of consecration, purity. And then, instead of mission, purpose. Oh, wouldn't that look good on a poster that nobody pays attention to? And then Nikki, in her brilliance, she's like, Dave, you know, when I was going to DSM, she said, I, I just remember those words, intercession, consecration. Those aren't teenage words, right? They're kind of old school words. There's a lot of syllables in those things. And she was saying, I kind of liked the fact that, that as a teenager, it wasn't dumbed down for me. She said, I liked the fact that y'all used real big words. And I was like, really? That is so true. I'm an idiot. Now, please don't get me wrong. I mean, if you want to pray and you want to live with purity and you want to say purpose, those could be your secret little four versions. But we would say that intercession is different from prayer. It is. And you're going to find out here in a second why. But intercession, pleading on the behalf of others for God to move for the sake of his kingdom and the sake of his love and the sake of his mission, right? Consecrating yourself, living a life in which there's no clutter in your heart. Distractions. It doesn't always have to be the most filthy, disgusting thing. No, no. I mean, we can live impure lives just simply by being apathetic, that's impurity, man, because we're worshiping the idol of comfort that has lulled us to sleep spiritually. And so we become apathetic. That's why people go, oh, it's just Jesus. You see, that's apathy. That is impurity. That is satanic. It is not of God. It comes from the pit of hell. The devil loves Christians who don't sin that bad but are mega apathetic. When they'll hear the word of God and there's nothing in their hearts that stirs. Oh, the devil loves that. It's like this boa constrictor that comes over a Christian if they're not careful. And yes, they've been walking in purity to, through a moral behavior. Okay? So they're moral. But there's this, this slow virus that is beginning to eat away underneath their hearts. And over time, everything becomes so familiar. You know all the songs. You know all the verses. You know all the illustrations. You know what the preacher's going to say next. And you just become, oh, it's just Jesus. And you become apathetic. And that boa constrictor, that spirit is just coming in, just choking the life and killing your passion. And then after a while, you get bored with the things of God. You get bored with DSM. You get bored with church, right? And what happens is, is you go, I've kind of been there and done that. I wonder what else is out there for me. So you turn the tassel and you graduate. Or you get into your senior year and you go, man, youth group was great, man. I had some sweet times at Cormdale. I got so many t-shirts in my dresser of this time. That man, good times. I remember when I got my prayer language. I remember this time when, oh, great. But now you're kind of becoming apathetic. 
And this boa constrictor, the spirit, is beginning to choke you where it's, it's just Jesus. And then you're going to start finding yourself going, it's just church. It's just DSM. I know what they're going to talk about. It's just the same songs. wonder what else is out there because I want to feel again because Jesus isn't doing it for me that much anymore. What happens is compromise instead of consecration becomes the thing that begins to define you. And then you start to compromise. Not bad, but little by little by little by little. And then it's a year or two after you've graduated, and then I hear reports about these students who are just in love with Jesus in this room, and then now they're living like hell. They are living in a way that would just blow their mind from their 10th grade selves. If they could see themselves at 22, they go, what happened? When did I become that guy? It's because we didn't consecrate our hearts and set it aside solely for Jesus to love and to shape. It matters. It matters. Consecration. Boy, that's a sermon in itself. We'll get there next week. Mission. How many of y'all would love to know the purpose of your life? <laughs> Why are you breathing air on this planet? God knows. And he says, the way you find these things out, the way you can live out your mission as a child and a son and a daughter of Jesus is to live with passion, to intercede beyond just your own needs, but for the needs of others, for the kingdom to come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then consecrating yourself, saying no to good things for the better things of God. You will discover your purpose. So last week, we talked about what real passion for God looks like. Do y'all remember that? Y'all remember last week? Was it a just a just Jesus night or was it an only Jesus night? Because if I remember correctly, I think Abe and I both got saved last week. It was that good. Y'all need to relax. All right, here we go. What we learned, though, and this is what I shared, is that passion is a spark. And sometimes we, we mistake the word passion for goosebump. And we think unless the Lord is just wrecking us in this moment and there's tears and there's goosebumps and there's like this euphoric feeling, there's no passion. But I told you that, guys, passion is not that. Passion is the spark, but it is commitment that stokes the flame. Do you remember me saying that? And then what I highlighted really quickly, because i got to get into my sermon, enough review if you missed it, listen to the podcast. But I talked about my wife and I, my beautiful wife who was in the middle singing, leading worship tonight, by the way, is very beautiful and amazing. Um, yes. This side likes you a lot, Sarah. This side, I don't know what the deal is. But anyway, so, <laughs> yes. But when we got married, when we were 23, we had a double dose of passion. Like everything she did, the way she brushed her teeth, the way that she drank her coffee, the way she spoke, the way she left voicemails on my machine, it's just everything about her is like, oh, can't wait to marry you, girl. But then fast forward 15 years, and we've had kids, and we got bills, we got life, we've moved about 40 times, and we've just gone through some ups and downs, right? And I realized that while we still loved each other and we still liked each other, we, our passion meter was over here on this side. And when you realize this, you go, well, what do I do? How do we rediscover our passion for one another? You go back to what you did and knew at the time in which you were the most passionate, but then relate to one another at the level in which you're at now. We both knew, know a lot more about one another now than we did the first day we got married. The passion was there, but the commitment is what keeps it going. So we had to recommit it to some things. We had to apologize to one another for some things. We had to remember why we said yes to one another to begin with. And I think for some of you, it's not a matter of God so far away. It's the fact is you've lost your passion and you don't know how to get it back. Go back to what you did when you were most passionate about God and there you will find it. But relate to him in the way that you are now. Don't chase eighth grade God follower. Be you today in a new way. Does that make sense? If it doesn't make sense, it rhymed, so I don't know what to tell you. So here's the thing. This is the word that the Lord gave me tonight for this year, and it's the word imagine. We had a hard year, guys. I get it. It was a hard year for me, too. But I really feel as I said, Lord, what is the word for this ministry for 2018, for DSM, for you guys? He says the word is imagine. I want to invite my children to begin to imagine again. And you go, man, that's so inspiring. No, let me explain to you what I mean. I believe that God 
wants us to imagine or reimagine what it means to live with passion, to see the atmosphere in our church and our schools and our homes and our cities changed through intercession. I mean, imagine with me for a second, once again, guys, imagine with me students moving mountains through their prayers. They're, they're coming together and they're truly praying away the strongholds that are killing people around you, that are keeping people in depression, under the burden of depression and shame and guilt. What would it look like? Imagine with me if a couple of crazy students join me because I'm going with or without you join me and said God we really do believe in the power of intercession since your son does it chances are we can do it too and we choose to intercede on the behalf of those around us and what would happen if the mountains begin to crumble and, I, and I'm sharing this with you because it doesn't cost anything to imagine this just play along with me just imagine what it would look like to actually see this take place. Imagine what God can do through somebody who says, I'm not perfect, but you can have all of my heart. You can have all of my heart. Imagine what God would do with someone who says that to him. Thousands of students waking up every morning knowing what their purpose and their mission is instead of going, why am I on this earth? And should I even be here anymore? I think the problem is, guys, is that we accept what is unacceptable. I really do. I think we just kind of throw our hands up and go, this is just the way it is, man. Get your, heads out of the, get your head out of the clouds. David, you're inspiring, but it's not real. No, what's not real is the fact that the enemy has the authority that we have assigned him and given him to be able to keep people in these positions. When Jesus broke every chain that there could be broken, does that, am I talking to a, is this a funeral in here? Or is God just rocking your world so much you don't know what to say? Because well, here's what I want to, I, I don't want you to hoot just for my own sake, although I do appreciate it. The needy part of me loves it. But here's the thing. Do we just want to be just Jesus kind of youth group? I'm like, like for real, man. I think I would resign right now in front of you guys if I knew that that was the kind of youth group this was going to be. I'm 46. I ain't got time to waste on stupid. I want to invest my life in seeing God do the things that I'm talking about. Why wait till you're 40? It can start tonight. Jesus is saying, David, tell them you, they can imagine. And I will do stuff that they imagine. I was thinking about you all this week, and I was just like, that phrase, we have to stop accepting what's unacceptable. You understand that bullying is unacceptable. Racism is unacceptable. Racial discrimination, abuse, profanity, manipulation, cutting, depression, pornography, these are symptoms of sick souls who are trying to find God in those things. I think it's wrong if we accept what is unacceptable. Do you? Or do you think racial division is just the best thing that's ever happened in 2018? Do we really feel that people who are being abused by family members, that's awesome? No, we would never say that, but what do we do in response to that? We accept what is unacceptable. Well, you know what? The world has had its shot. It has proven what it can do. And all we see is destruction, pain, and loss. Okay, world, we've got it. We've seen your best pitch for this. Now it's time for God's children to rise up and go, we will no longer accept what is unacceptable anymore. We've seen it your way, devil. Now it's time for Jesus to come in. But how does he do that? Through teenagers just like you who are willing to step out and say, I will no longer accept what is unacceptable in my life nor in the life of those around me. I will no longer walk this way. I will live passionately. I will intercede. I will consecrate myself. And I will live on mission because that's what we're about. Because God has a plan for me. And he says that I'm allowed to imagine. So I'm going to imagine some crazy stuff. And see if God isn't big enough to make them come to pass. I don't think the problem is will he. The question is, is will you? That's the question. If God is almighty, then where's the problem? It's us. We're just Jesus. We're just Jesus instead of only Jesus. Only Jesus is the answer.
Only Jesus can save souls. Only Jesus can break the strongholds in your life and at the people in your school that you go to. I'm just telling you, though, but God's like, listen, David, do you think you can just find one student in the room on a Wednesday night who's willing to dream and imagine crazy stuff for me? Because I think I just would like to use one student who's crazy enough to imagine something so crazy and big for my glory. And I just want to do it. And I'm going to show my glory through that person. And it's probably going to be the one who feels the least spiritual in here, but crazy enough to believe that somehow I can do it. That I somehow can use that one student to defeat and overcome what is unacceptable. It's going to require sacrifice, though. See, that's where we start jumping off the boat. We go, yeah, we want to see generations changed. We want to pray for the nations, yes. And it's going to require you to be a little uncomfortable. Whoa, that's what we pay you for. Our job is to clap for you while you do it. Be quiet. That's dumb. Show me in the Bible. Jesus says in the word of God, through Isaiah the prophet, don't remember the prior things. Don't ponder ancient history. And I want you to take that any way you want. Sometimes we get married to the method. We talked about that last week. But then some of us, we feel we can't move forward because of what we've done in the past. Jesus forgives you. He loves you. Let's move forward. 2018's here, okay? God says, look. Everybody say, look. I'm doing a new thing. Now it sprouts up. Don't you recognize it? Some of you last week began to recognize it. I talked to one student, and we were talking here on the stage afterward, and she shared with me, she said, David, I lost my passion, but tonight God restored it unto me. She said, look at my hand. It's shaking. I'm so excited about God and this new thing that you were talking about. You see, she gets it. And maybe it's that student that the Lord will use, but I think there's about 250 of y'all in here that God would say, hey, I got enough for you too if you want it. You see, he's doing a new thing. He says, I'm making a way in the desert, paths in the wilderness. And some may be wondering, though, David, what is the new thing? The new thing the Lord told me today, because I was struggling with this. I'm like, Lord, what is that new thing? He said, David, that new thing is going to be unlocked when my students in DSM begin to pray and imagine. That's how you will unlock and discover what the new thing is that God wants to do. Through you and in you and through us. It's going to unlock the new things that God is wanting to do. God is wanting to say to you tonight, students, he says, seek first my kingdom, and all these other things are going to be added unto you. But I want to let you know, in the name of Jesus, God is moving forward, and he's doing a new thing in Colorado Springs, and he has, by his grace, allowed us to be a part of this new thing that he will be doing. And I'm inviting you personally to join me, because I'm going, because I don't want to miss out. I don't want to have an only Jesus kind of faith. I want, or I mean, just a just Jesus. I want to have an only Jesus kind of faith. So what does it mean to imagine? Really quickly, we talked about the, it's forming a mental picture or an image of. So imagine, let's just begin to imagine and rediscover our holy imagination to begin to think, man, what would happen if that kid in second period, that one student, think about that kid, it's already coming in your mind. The one least likely, least likely, gets saved at a Bible group that you start that was inspired from this series. Do you follow what I'm saying? What if that kid, whoever it is, just take your eight-hour day and just think about that one kid that you go, there's no freaking way that kid will ever like Jesus. But imagine, just, just with me for a second, that student actually comes to Christ and they're kneeling next to you because you made the decision to start a prayer group or a Bible group at your school, they somehow, the Holy Spirit was able to navigate them to that. They receive Christ, and they're weeping and interceding for the lost right next to you. Can, God can't do that? He can't? Would you, would you like to tell God that he can't do that? Or maybe you need to tell yourself that he can. Imagine with him. Imagine what it would look like if the basketball team at your school and a revival took place among that basketball team. They're going out on the court, and all they can think about is Jesus. And instead of catching the passes and making baskets, they see people prophetically in the crowd, and they're like, here, you take the ball. Father, in the name of Jesus, break that bondage of depression off of them. The coach would lose his mind. 
What would happen? Imagine. I'm saying, think some crazy stuff with me. Wouldn't that just be the most amazing thing ever in the most terrible year for that team? <laughs> Golly. What does that look like to imagine these kind of things? Am I the only one nuts in here to think like this? Or is there someone, a couple others in here goes, I kind of get what you're talking about. I kind of get it. You see, God, I wonder what he imagines. I started thinking about that this week. Have you ever seen one of those jellyfish that light up in the ocean? You know what I'm talking about? And they have these little electrical currents, and they're just funky-looking things, and they're way deep under the water, and they're just hanging out with their little disco show going on, man. And I look at, but then you can, like, look through a microscope or a telescope, rather, and look at Saturn? You mean to tell me God is not a God that loves, he has this amazing imagination? Have you ever seen, like, an anteater? It takes imagination to come up with something like that. That big, long, weird, funky nose just sucking up ants through your nose. Have you tried that? <laughs> if I asked that question in junior high, some kid would go, no, but it's a great idea, right? <laughs> this is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined, that what God has prepared for those who love him. Does anybody in this room love Jesus? <laughs> yes? Okay. But it was to us that God revealed these things and by his spirit, for his spirit searches out everything, and guess what it does? If you know Jesus, you have his Holy Spirit within you. Did you know that you can unlock God's imagination and his mystery by the Holy Spirit? Because it's his spirit that lives within you, and you are able, according to scripture, search out God's deep secrets. Did you know that? No one can know a person's thoughts except that old person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except, everybody say except, through God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. Why? So that we could guess what God's thinking. Is that what the passage says? No, it's so that we can what? We can what? You can know the wonderful things that God freely wants to give to any student in here that says, what are you imagining for my city and my school and my life, God? Show me by your spirit the deep secrets you have for me and for my school and for my town and for this world. God, what is it? What, inspire my imagination. Let me think crazy like you. I want to know the deep secrets of God. Does anybody else in here want to join me in that? Like, really ponder that for a minute. When you walk outside and you look at the stars and you have the Holy Spirit in you and God's like, I wish I got a secret. I wish I could tell you. Would you just spend enough time to just find out what it is? Because I wanted to let you know. Because there's not a lot of my kids that want to know the secret things I've got. I think you would be like a really standout kind of voice. If God heard one of his children say, Father, can you reveal to me your deep secrets? I just don't think there's enough of his children asking that. So chances are you get right to the front of the line on that one. And I think it would joy him, overjoy him. And then the Lord would begin to show you great and mighty things that you know not of yet. This is for you. It's for teenagers. Oh, I got so much to say yet again, kids. <laughs> There's so little time. Let's talk about intercession for a second. When bad things happen to your friends, where do they run? Now, this isn't a, oh, because they're all sitting. No, 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 I'm just asking you like a literal question. Like when bad things start to fall apart, like these amazing students that came up here that I just, man, I love your faces, man. And y'all came up here asking God for a miracle. I don't take that lightly. And I don't, I'm not here to exploit that. That's beautiful. And I carry that. And I'll be praying for you myself, I promise. Um, but when things go sideways in your friends' lives, where do they run? I think a lot of times, as I started thinking about that, I think a lot of times students will run to another friend, right? They'll run to, maybe they run to you, or maybe they run to social media, or maybe they run to Netflix and binge on both seasons again of Stranger Things, right? Hallelujah. Um, 
terrible show, you should never watch it, but The Upside Down actually changed my life, and uh, spiritually speaking, and the, and the reason why I say that, I'll share this with Abe, not in my notes, I'm going to go along, um, but when I was watching Stranger Things, just for, so I knew what youth culture was absorbing into their minds and hearts, not for entertainment purposes, lies, I was watching it, and um, if y'all have seen it, there's The Upside Down. And Will, he's got that monster, uh, you know what I'm talking about? It's really gross. And there's all this madness going on. But you'll never watch it the same way again. Because I was watching it, and I had the flu, and I'm laying there watching it. So this may be part of it while I was getting really kind of loopy. I was high on Mucinex. But I'm watching it, and I went, whoa. (laughs) Because if you noticed, when that big gnarly monster in season two like, Will comes out, he's like, yeah, and the monster's like, really? <laughs> right, he goes into him, and he's all freaking out and stuff like that. Don't watch the show if you haven't watched it. But for you sinners who have, I now know what you've been up to. <laughs> so with that said, he gets possessed by this thing, and shortly, shortly over time, he begins to lose his identity, Right? And he begins to forget who he was and who the people are around him. He, he, he just, he's overtaken by this thing. And he begins to respond. And it says that he began, or the movie, or the show, it says he began to feel what this thing was feeling within him, right? So his emotions were shifting. And it's no longer him that lives, but this other thing within him. And I saw the Bible in that. Because scripture talks about it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. It's no longer your identity. It's the identity of Jesus, this power that has come within you that's not creepy, but came to bring you life. But you lose yourself. And so with that, I began to think about prayer. And I went, what if prayer is so powerful that there is, in fact, a spiritual upside down And we, as we begin to pray, we are able to affect the things that we can't see because Scripture says that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in an unseen world. What? Does that not blow your mind? What if intercession truly is warring? in the upside down, spiritually speaking. And we are attacking darkness and strongholds are being cut off and those weird tentacle things that were swallowing up the sheriff are being cut off and and peace is being brought back to this disaster that we can't see. The moment we stop accepting the unacceptable and we begin to start interceding against those things and praying against those things and knowing that they make a difference immediately in another realm, how would we live and how would we pray? Our prayers matter. Intercession matters. Where do your friends go to, though, when things start getting weird in their lives? I've ministered to a lot of students, and it took me a long time to figure this out. But I want to share this with you on two levels. The first level is how to protect yourself. We'll start there. When I talk to students who say, David, I don't, I love Jesus, but I've been really contemplating suicide, and I've been so depressed. And I look in their faces, and I know their stories, and I'm like, why are you struggling like that? What's the deal? I couldn't figure it out. And then I found myself figuring, I think the Lord showed me something as a pastor, and I share this with you guys. Some of you have a pastoral calling on your life. You think it's normal that people come to you and share their problems. You think it's just normal. It's all you've ever known. No, actually, I want to identify what that is. You actually have a pastoral calling on your life. The problem is, is when you don't know how to steward that, what happens is when people come to you because they see that pastoral calling on your life and they recognize that there's safety within you, they want to unload their problems on you. And, and we hear it and we care about these people so much that we begin to say yes, 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 and they keep coming to you for shelter and for protection, right? The problem is, is that we overown that issue, because we feel like it's our job to save them and keep them from hurting themselves or to get them happy again, right? And that's beautiful. But see, that's, that's a mark of immaturity. You, it's not because you're bad. It's just you don't know until someone tells you. 
I've learned that students who struggle with suicide and depression, many times it's because their friends have struggled with it, and their friends bring this burden to them, and we take it because we love them and we love Jesus, and we go, God, i got to fix this. Help me to figure this out. And I just want to let you know, it's not your job to fix them. Your job is to love them, cry with them, minister, share verses. But the number one thing that you can do that's going to be the most effective is interceding for them. Okay? I'm telling you, because your shoulders are not strong enough to be able to carry that burden for yourself. Jesus is the only one that is strong enough to handle those types of burdens. I'm speaking from experience because imagine 300 students over since 2004 at any given time messaging me, talking with me, praying with me up front about these things, saying, David, I'm struggling. I want to commit suicide. I'm depressed. I'm all the rest of these things. Now, what would you, how would I be if I took all of those burdens on myself? You got two or three friends. I got 300. What do, you, what do I do? And I want to share this with you. You take it and you go, I hurt with you. And I'm so sorry you're going through this. And I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Because that's what Jesus says to me. And so I'll never leave you or forsake you. But then what you do is you take it and you give it to God. You take it, you give it to God. Depression, give it to God. I want to commit suicide, give it to God. That's how you keep from falling under this burden. So your job is to love them, point them to the person who can actually heal them, but your greatest, greatest weapon in seeing them have victory in their life is not becoming Dr. Phil. Because, sorry, you don't have the wisdom to help them, okay? You have a good heart, but you don't have the wisdom. Your job, hear me, if you want to save your friend's life, leave the burden out of your hands, give it to Jesus, but then you get on your knees and you begin to intercede. And you go, David, what is the difference between prayer and intercession? Well, prayer is basically praying for your needs. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing selfish about prayer. We are big fans of prayer around here. But prayer is saying, God, give me wisdom. Like my prayers every day for you guys. I'm like, Lord, help me to be a good shepherd. Help me to show how much I love them. Lord, help me to preach the word. Lord, help me to know how to lead this amazing ministry. I'm praying for myself. That's good. But intercession is this. Every morning I pray, Lord... I pray that you would put a hedge of protection around El Paso County and Manitou Springs where I live. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for the revelation of salvation for every man, woman, boy, and girl in El Paso County and Manitou Springs. Father, in the name of Jesus, this is my prayer every morning. I'm interceding. I don't know who I'm praying for. Who cares? I'm like, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for the revelation of Jesus for every man, woman, boy, and girl. And what I'm asking is that you would remove from their minds, their hearts, and their homes, and their circumstances the spirit of suicide, fear, depression, control, pride, and self-sufficiency. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would replace it with you, Jesus, with salvation, with hope, healing, restoration, grace, and humility. And then I begin to pray through a whole list of people that have no idea that I'm praying for their salvation. I'm like, Lord, please bring salvation to Josh, Josh, Tina, Teresa, David, Dale, Donnie, Danu, Darren, Dan, Ace, Astrid, Adam, Brett, Brian, Brittany, Brad, Nathaniel, Victoria, Helena, Viola, Greg, Ann, Kirk, Susie. Do you see what I'm doing? What I'm doing is I'm not trying to advertise how spiritual I am, but in the morning I'm interceding for them because somewhere in the upside down, something's happening. And I trust God. The Lord is looking for intercessors. Intercession Definition is pleading on the behalf of another person. A prayer to God on the behalf of one another. If you want to know if you are passionate about the things of God, listen to how much I versus they is in your prayers. Okay? You may be real passionate about yourself, but God says if you really want to shake heaven and earth, pray for others. Intercession is basically seeking a supernatural outcome that only God can respond to. Y'all with me? For those of you who go, I love deep teaching, oh, tonight, children, you're getting it. You're getting it. Let me, let me share this one story with you. In September of 1857, no joke, Jeremiah Lanfear started a businessman's prayer meeting in the upper room of the Dutch Reformed Church consist, Consistory Building in Manhattan. Yeah, that really rolls off the tongue, right? Okay, now, now guys, focus on this. This is going to blow your mind, and this is where we're going to land it tonight. 
what he did is he put out an advertisement because God had burdened his heart for New York City. It's this big town, right? So he puts out this advertisement, come and intercede. Guess how many people in New York City showed up? Six raggedy people. Only six people out of a population at this time of a million people showed up. But, everybody say but. Those six people started to intercede for New York City. They weren't, they weren't pastors. These weren't fancy people. These were people going, okay, we want to see the upside down changed. We want to see God Touch another generation. Six people. I need six people. I need six. You, one, two, three, four. You want to come up, Ash? All right. Yes, no, okay. Five, six. Okay, come on. Come on. You're real quick, real quick. I want you to understand what six people looks like in case you were curious. Come on up. Just line up. You don't have to do anything weird. I want you to understand something. And I'm just, is there six? Okay, great. <laughs> okay. How many people are on this stage? Yo, with seven. Well, not counting me. <laughs> okay, now check this out. Here we go. The following week, because these six people prayed, that's all they did. They weren't fancy. They just said, Lord, would you bring salvation to New York City? The following week, there were 14. Everybody say 14. So now there's 14. And then the week after that, there were 23 that showed up. Hey, it's looking up. People just interceding. And then it was decided man, we, we're kind of stumbled onto a good thing. We probably should meet every day for this. So what they did is they started meeting every day, this 23 people. And by late winter, they were filling the Dutch Reformed Church, then the Methodist Church, then the Trinity Episcopal Church. Do you see here that there's different denominations now involved in a move of God? It's not just us. We don't have the market cornered on the Holy Spirit, guys. So all of a sudden, the Episcopal Church gets involved, the Methodist Church gets involved, the Baptist Church gets involved. By February, now remember, it started in what month? September, right? By February, every church and public hall in downtown New York City is filled up with people interceding and praying for their city. Oh, hang tight. Then a landslide of prayer began, which overflowed to the churches in the evenings. Now people began to be converted Ten thousand a week in New York City alone were coming to know Jesus Christ. 10,000 people in New York City were receiving Christ. How, where did we start? Six raggedy people saying, okay, God, we're going to imagine a little bit. The movement then spread to New England and the church bells bringing people to prayer at 8 in the morning, at 12 noon, at 6, 6 in the evening. So it's no longer contained in New York City. New, New England is now involved. And the revival had so many people to baptize that they went down to the river, and this is in wintertime in the north, they had to cut a big hole out of the ice and were dunking people in the ice water to get baptized. But guys, when you're on fire, it doesn't matter. Then revival reached Chicago. A young shoe salesman went to the superintendent of the Plymouth Congressional Church, and he said, hey, can I teach Sunday school? I want to get in on this thing. The shoe salesman, the superintendent said to him, he said, bro, I'm so sorry, man. You're young. He says, I already have 16 teachers. I've got too many volunteers at our church. I will have to put you on a waiting list. The young man insisted, but I want to do something now. This young man, this young woman, I want to do something now, though. I don't want to freaking wait. God is moving. I got an imagination. Put me to work somewhere. So this is what the young man heard from the teacher. He says, well, then, then start a class on your own. How do I start a class, he asked. He said, I don't know. Get some boys off the street and don't bring them here, though. We have too many people. We're trying to get to all the rest of these people already getting said, we got to, our hands are full. He says, just take them out into the country, and after a month, you'll have control of them, and then at that point, maybe bring them in. They're going to be your class. So what he did, this young teenage shoe salesman took these boys off the street and said, all right, let's party. Let's talk about some Jesus. Let's intercede. Let's talk about what it means to know him. And he took them to the Lake Michigan in the wintertime and taught them Bible verses and Bible games. And then he took them to the Plymouth Congressional Church, and the name of that young man was Dwight L. Moody. Now, a lot of you don't know who that is, but that was the beginning of his ministry that has now reached the planet with the word of God. 
Why? Thank you, guys. Because six people took a message like I'm preaching tonight for real. That's it. I'm not preaching up here and yelling in this microphone because it feels good and I want you to be inspired. No, I want you to understand something. God says, I'm doing something new. And I don't want to miss it. And I just, I need some students who are going, okay, I hear you. I'm committed. I want to intercede. I want to begin to imagine crazy things. Because what would you and I do if we were sitting in those stands next year? Watching that basketball game, and that basketball team throws that dude, throws the ball, and he begins to go prophetically. I see that you're struggling. What would you do if that really happened? We're sitting there, we're going, We talked about that last year. Wouldn't that just be bizarre? Hang tight. Trinity Episcopal Church in Chicago had 121 members in 1857. In three years, they were running about 1,500. Just one church alone. That's just an example of what we're talking about. This was typical of churches all across the north. More than one million people were converted to God in one year out of a population of 30 million total. Why? Because six people understood what happens when you choose to intercede? That's why DSM says intercession really matters. Because what would happen? My thinking is there's about 250 people in here, not just six. What would happen if we all, as the in, my intercessor comes up, Aiden, come on up, and the band comes up. What would happen if six can lead a million what could happen if 250 of y'all in here chose to intercede, not just tonight, but made a commitment to intercede for your schools, even schools you don't go to? You just get a list of schools, and every day you personally or you gather together before school and begin to intercede for the school and begin to intercede for your friends who are lost. Like, this is a thing that we can do and change the world and no longer accept what is unacceptable. And go, God is going to do a new thing. Imagine if 250, if you do the math, and 1 million from 6, 250, I don't even know what that would be. And what if we were the ones that God says, if they'll just listen on the second Wednesday of the year, and they do this, we'll see like 30 million within a year receive Christ. Do you believe that? Can you imagine something like that? Honestly, I can't. But I want to. Is there anybody else in here who wants to just kind of maybe scratch the surface and see if God's for real about this thing? Do you think that maybe he wants to see 30 million come into the kingdom of God? Right? I'm just asking. I'm not trying to get you fired up about something that I'm not. I'm just wondering. I think a lot of youth pastors are really afraid to preach these kind of messages because they don't think students like you are mature enough to handle it. I say they have no divine imagination. I believe that you are the ones that God has chosen. And as the one in here who feels the least qualified, I think God is the one who wants to use the most. We're in for a crazy time, y'all. I'm just going through my notes to make sure I didn't miss any red letters. Okay, last, last, last passage, and then we're going to pray and intercede and worship. Cool? Can we do that? Y'all with me? Okay, check this out. This guy named G uh, Nehemiah. He hasn't been to Jerusalem in a while, and he runs into his brother, and he says, hey, how's, how's Jerusalem doing? He's like, oh, bro, Jerusalem's a mess. It's torn down. The gates have been burned. It's really sad. And Nehemiah heard this because he knew what it represented, that something beautiful that God had established had been destroyed. And I just think about the lives around you in your schools, Something that started out really beautiful. The enemy has come in and destroyed. But we accept the unacceptable, but no more, right? I want you to think about that girl who has that reputation, who wears too much eye makeup because she's trying to hide behind something. And she's got that reputation. And all the kids and all the girls who think that they're better than her talk about her and what a whore she is, right? You hear this stuff. I wonder if anybody, I, I'm just, 
I wonder if anybody's going, oh, that, no, no, that, no, that's Jerusalem. She's torn down and she's burnt up. But you know what? Just turning a blind eye to those things is not what Nehemiah did. What Nehemiah did when he heard of the destruction of something beautiful and pure, it says, he said, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, please listen to my prayer. He's beginning to intercede for the broken down ruins of Jerusalem. This is what we have got to do for the broken down ruins of the things that we have accepted that are unacceptable. It is unacceptable for the city of God to lie in ruins, is what Nehemiah is saying. He's saying, ah, if I'm the only one that begins to intercede on the behalf of Jerusalem, I will be the one who does it. And he began to fast, and he began to pray, and he began to weep over this situation. You are walking around beauty that God has created, that the enemy has come in and tried to destroy because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Nehemiah said, oh, please look down and see me praying night and day, not just one time, but night and day for your people, Israel. And I confess that we have sinned against you. And so some of you, what you have got to do as you begin to intercede and you go into your prayer closets and you clean it out and you get it all cleaned up so you can go in there and begin to become intercessors again because you're passionate about the things of God and this matters and you want to change the upside down, what you have got to do and understand that some of you, you're going to have to confess the sins of those that you know because they don't even have the conviction of the Holy Spirit to realize what they're doing. And so you need to go on the behalf of your friends and go to God and say, God, Lord, forgive our generation for our apathy. Forgive this youth group for loving preferences instead and methodologies instead of the fresh move of God. Father, we confess. We confess as a generation that we have accepted the unacceptable. You're going to have to confess the sins of this generation on your own, some of you. But you could do that. God, in other words, what you're really saying is God have mercy on us. And he says, yes, even my own family and I have sinned. So he's owning his stuff too because he knows he's brought some of this on himself. He's been a party to it. He says, we have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, the decrees, and the regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. So please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But, everybody say but. But if you return to me and obey my commandments and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Can God's name be honored again in Colorado Springs? Can it start through us? Can we start beginning to intercede? Stand to your feet, stand to your feet. He said, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to my intercession. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring to you. The word of the Lord says, DSM, then if my people, God says, who are called by my name will humble themselves and they begin to pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and God says, I will also restore their land. Who's ready to commit to become intercessors? Where's, where's Aiden at? Where's Aiden? There he is. So we're going to take three minutes as kind of a little training, but we're going to come before God. Are you all ready to intercede with me? Because we're about to intercede. We're, we're going to enter in and we're going to believe God to begin to change things. So Aiden's going to lead us and there's going to be some things on the screen and I want you to not just listen to him pray and say amen and clap. No, you are now going to get on your knees with me. Get on your knees. Get on your knees. And now let's go before the Lord and let's intercede for the things that God has put on our heart. You guys just lift your hands with me. God, I just say, come Lord, would you pour out your spirit on this generation, God. I say, Lord, that this generation will be, begin to pray with me, pray out loud. I want
want your voice to drown out everything that I'm saying. God, would you, would you come and move in this generation, God, that they are no longer defined by their addiction, God, that DSM will not be defined by apathy, that it will not be defined, God, by looking to the past, God, but that we'll come to you and we'll say, move in, in our generation, God, that this generation will be the one that sees the kingdom of heaven come to earth, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here in this youth group, in these people, God, here and now, Lord, that, that just like Pastor David said, God, that your best days are not behind you, God, but that you have placed a call and a purpose on this generation. You've placed a call and a purpose on this youth group, Jesus. And I said, Lord, speak purpose, Lord. Speak destiny into them, God, that they're not defined by addiction, that their sin won't hold them anymore, and that you're calling a generation to step out now, God, and to walk in the fullness of your spirit, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, God, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, God, to see your kingdom come here and now, Jesus. Would you fill them, Lord? you fill them, Jesus. Jesus' name. And God, I comfort, Lord, every single family that's represented in here. God, I ask for a restoration of relationships, God. God, I ask for broken marriages, God. I ask for, for separated parents, for divorced parents. Would you come in and supernaturally heal these relationships, Jesus? Would you heal these students' families? God, would you bring back together what's been broken, God, where there's separation between siblings, where there's separation, God, between, between um, these students and their parents, God, I ask that it be restored in Jesus' name, God, and that the families would come together, God, that we would see entire families coming to know you, God. God, what if their whole family came to know you? What if their parents got saved, God? What if we saw all these people come to know you? What if we saw entire families walking in the power of God because of the prayer of these students right here, God? Would you restore families? Would you restore families tonight, God? Jesus, would you start with these students, God? They're not too young. They're not too insignificant. God, they're, they're not too young in their faith, Lord, but that you can use them to bring their family back to you and restore them to you in Jesus' name. God, last Lord, we pray for revival in our schools, God, that revival would break out here now, God, that it would start, just like you said, God, in New York City, God, that we would begin to pray on our knees, saying, would we see salvation come to every high school in Colorado Springs, to every junior high in Colorado Springs, God, that it is not too far beyond your hand, God, to see people praying and prophesying over each other in the hall. It's not far beyond your hand, God, to see Bible studies starting in these schools. It's not too far beyond your hand, God, to see these students pray for the sick in school and see them recover here and now, God, and to see revival take place in the school. So God, speak revival. Speak revival in our hearts, God, and burden our hearts for pray. To pray, God, we repent for not praying and we come to you, Lord, and say, only you can do something. God, would you save the high schools in this city? Would you come and use these students in Jesus' mighty name, Lord? Would you pour out your spirit, God, and when I just ask for a spirit of intercession to be stood up over these students in Jesus' name, God, for a passion to see these things take place. So what I challenge you to do is understand, number one, that we have a God who wants to do it again. He wants to bring renewal to our hearts so that revival could come to theirs, okay? And I loved what I saw. I think the Lord is awakening the hearts of intercessors in here. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is make a commitment now, like Nehemiah, to begin to pray every single day. You're gonna to have to find a time and you're gonna to have to find a place. If you don't have those things, you're not gonna do it. And it's not because you don't want to, but because let me tell you, the enemy is gonna make you sleepy in the morning, man. You're gonna have so much homework that you won't have time. You're gonna have practice. You're gonna have text. You're gonna have social media. You're gonna have all sorts of distractions. But is it worth pushing through those things? If the Lord has chosen you because if we say, if we put it off, delayed obedience is disobedience. So if your heart has been convicted tonight, I now challenge you to find a time and a place to join your brothers and sisters in, in here in DSM to begin to intercede and say, okay, God, let's get after it. Let's change that upside down. The only youth pastor on planet earth preaching out of Stranger Things chapter two. So how many of y'all believe God can do it again? I'm asking you, how many of y'all really believe that God can do this again? How many of y'all truly believe that that girl that I was talking about, God is going to save? How many of y'all believe that that one kid who sits by himself at lunch every day can be found and seen and received Christ and brought into brothers and sisters, no longer forgotten? 
DSM will no longer accept what is unacceptable. No one's left behind, and you belong here, and so do they. So let's believe and sing as we finish up tonight that God, in fact, can do it again. Come on, let's lift our voices. I see. 